Hi everyone, Jason here. On May the 14th, Stephen and myself will be appearing with the one and only Mark Lewison at the Pavilion Theatre in Dunleary, Dublin. We're going to be celebrating 60 years of a hard day's night and we would love you to join us. For tickets, go to paviliontheatre.ie or nothingisrealpod.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Nothing Is Real, a podcast about the Beatles. Everybody thinks they know the Beatles, but how much do we really know? My name's Jason Carty. My name's Stephen Cockcroft. And we're live on tape from Dublin and Belfast. On the 1st of August 1971 in Madison Square Garden, a concert took place, two concerts actually, labelled George Harrison and Friends, but now known more commonly as the Concerts for Bangladesh. Although credited as a precursor to Live Aid and other charity gigs, it was a rock and roll star-studded event, which could have been a precursor to a different kind of solo George Harrison, perhaps. Um, we kind of look back on Bangladesh pretty fondly as a gig, don't we? Yes, I think so. Uh, I think it, it did a lot for George's reputation. Uh, it it was sort of the big first time, I suppose, you had that notion of a band with people coming on and off and playing with the same band rather than individual people coming on and doing a set. And uh, But yeah, and it was, it was literally George stepping out onto the stage as a solo artist after all things must pass. So what we're going to talk about uh, in our episodes on this is how the concert came together, where George was, what actually happened on the day, all the after effects and, uh, you know, the, the big million dollar question of what did it all mean? What did it all mean, Stephen? You know, what did it all mean? <laughs> well, no. I think, I think it, we can... it, it means we it meant we're, we're still talking about it all this time. Well, well, that is true, and it did. I think what we'll we'll kind of talk about is musically, it's still a pretty good gig. You know, it wasn't a bad gig; it was a rather good gig. It was a rather good gig. It was a rather good gig. Um, so, where to begin? Should we start off by doing a full two or three hours on the socio geopolitical aspect of what was going on in? Bangladesh, East Pakistan, uh, I, India, I, all that kind of stuff. I, I, I think so. I have two lines of notes on that. So I think we could, <laughs> we could probably spin that out to an hour or so. Well, it's, it's, I, I, I did go off and try and understand some of this because I thought it's a bit embarrassing that I know more about the concert for Bangladesh than actually about why Bangladesh yes, and the origins yes. of the country. So this is my 60 second uh, top of my head, Pressy, which is in the post-war decolonization of you know India and Pakistan. Pakistan was split into two countries, West Pakistan, which became known basically as Pakistan and is modern day Pakistan, and East Pakistan. And these were separated essentially by the Northern Territories of India. So there's thousands of kilometers separating East and West Pakistan. And East Pakistan was home for um, uh, Bengali population was the predominant uh, population in that era. Uh, and independence came in 1947, and in the subsequent uh, 24 years, to put it very mildly, there seemed to be a very big division between how Pakistan in the West treated itself and how it treated 
East Pakistan, even though East Pakistan in terms of population was just as great uh, as the other half of Pakistan, but they were kind of treated less in terms of uh, money being passed into the country uh, per GDP. And there seems kind of a poor cousin. And eventually those kind of things tend to stir resentments. And in 1970, there was a massive cyclone which killed hundreds of thousands of people. And it was felt the response was not really uh, good enough. And so a, a, a liberation front was set up and in March 1971, uh, essentially what became known as the Bangladesh Liberation War started, where, uh, you know, Bengali based uh, liberation group in uh, what was known at the time as East Pakistan uh, launched a form of civil war against the Pakistani forces. Uh, and this is what happens in March. And when you actually realize the timeline of events, you see that, you know, this war starts in March. It continues on for the rest of 1971. But George and Ravi Shankar are pretty fast out of the traps because it's only a couple of, it's only about three months until we get to Madison Square Garden. Yes, uh, um, and what you have to realise is that this is a combination of, of of the war going on, which is displacing people, plus, as you say, natural disasters as well. There's there's a, there's a cyclone. There's there's a famine. Uh, there are refugees pouring into India and into Afghanistan, um, and this is this is a, this is a, a sort of I don't know that it's a big story, but it's a story in, in, in the papers. But as you say, um, the West and particularly uh, the US uh, was very much pro-West Pakistan. Yeah. Um, and even even the phrase uh, Bangladesh, which I am uh, uh, believe means Bengali nation, is a translation just of Bengali nation. That that term, that, that, that name for the region is not... Uh, widely known. It's not a term that is being uh, used. There's, there's been this declaration of independence, as you say, in, in the spring of 1971. Um, but th this is, this is, you know, Ravi Shankar has close ties. He has relatives there. Uh, he is particularly attuned to this, and uh, he says that he goes to George Harrison, uh, he says, you know, look, this is the situation. I know it doesn't concern you. I know you can't possibly identify this. But he, he recounts the fact that as he was telling George about this, that George was sort of reacting and saying, yes, you know, we, we, we should do something. And initially, uh, the proposal was that there might be a Ravi Shankar single or he might do a benefit. There was Shankar's idea, I think, is originally that he would do a concert and that perhaps George could act as a compare. Uh, there's some talk about Peter Sellers coming along as a compare just to try and raise uh, a the profile and i think mm. th this this is a continuing theme that it starts out yes they'd like to raise some money yes they'd like to do some, something practical but the big thing is to raise awareness of what what is actually going on yeah and awareness is uh, important because as you say the notion of bangladesh who are you know, in, in the first half of 1971, trying to get recognition as a country, that's not really something that's being granted to them by a lot of countries or by the United Nations, um, no. which is sometimes what happens in events like these. But what uh, what Bangladesh does have in its favour is the, the government of India uh, under Indira Gandhi is, you know, recognising and trying to support the independence of Bangladesh. And of course, you know, we all know that George is very attuned to uh, what 
you know, the, the history and life in India and his friendship with Ravi Shankar is a very true and generous one. So, you know, when Ravi comes to him and, you know, by, by early 1971, you know, once things have, have, have kicked off in terms of the liberation war, there's 7 million people displaced. There's up to maybe half a million killed by natural disaster. There's maybe a quarter of a million have been killed by army action at this point and all the horror and havoc and refugee uh, issues that arise after a uh, in, in a state of affairs like that, this is what George is being presented with by his friend Ravi. Yes, um, uh, and th- this is really happening in April uh, yeah. of 1971 because George is working quite closely with Shankar. Uh, they're in LA and they're working on a soundtrack to uh, an Apple film called Raga. I have to say, this is this is not a film that I've seen. I've seen their, their, their clips and their excerpts from it, but this is effectively a documentary about the life of Ravi Shankar and, uh, you know, it, it includes, it goes back to the mid sixties. It includes footage from his appearance at Monterey, etc. The film had run into financial difficulties and then George had stepped in and Apple had taken it on board. So they're actually working, uh, closely together on this film at the time. Um, this there's, is also a soundtrack album, which I didn't realize existed. I'm, I'm not, really au fait with Apple's American catalogue. This was only issued in America. Uh, it's a very good Ravi Shankar album, which is called In Concert 1972. And I always associated the film with that, but that's a separate thing. So, Is again, George on the... Because this Raga film has kind of been bubbling around for years. It, ha- it is. George it is, is filmed for this in 68, isn't he? That's right. That's yeah. right. Um, but it's not, it's not being made at that stage. It's not being made by Apple. It's mm. only when it sort of runs into the sand slightly because of financial problems and then Apple step in. But yes, George has been interviewed uh, for this. And you can see those those um, clips on YouTube. Those clips, there. On, those clips on, on YouTube. So this is in April. So that's really, um, you know, a month after uh, uh, the whole sort of military situation has kicked off. Well, the, the Pakistan launched their military operations on the 25th of March, 1971. So it's mm. really, you know, days to weeks afterwards yeah. that uh, Ravi and George are in each other's uh, orbit. And, you know, just to refresh ourselves of the timeline, you know, George um, has All Things Must Pass has just come out the previous December. So we're just four months on from the release of All Things Must Pass. January 1971 is when My Sweet Lord is number one. Uh, in the US and in the UK. So by this point, you know, Wawa's probably out as a single. George is uh, king of the world, you know. What is life? What is life? Pardon me. Did I say Wawa? You're obsessed with Wawa because it's a song about Paul. <laughs> That's um, true. Aren't all songs about all Paul? All songs about Paul. Um, yeah, you, you would think that, uh, you know, if you were George Harrison, you had a number one single, that you had a number one album, you'd be out promoting that. You'd be, mm. you know, planning a tour or you'd be at least doing promo. And, and, and But no, he's shut in an editing suite, editing a film about Ravi Shankar. Yes. And the other thing that's kind of happening in the background is that he's working with Bad Fingers, not the... Uh, yes, uh, the, album, the album straight up. Uh, he's acting as producer uh, there on that film. Okay. On that uh, album, and um, this will sort of we we maybe come back to that, but he he's sort of yeah heavily involved in producing that that, and again this is at this stage, for all of the sort of internal Apple, um, for all of the internal Apple uh, issues, George is still working at Apple. He's you know pushing forward those ideals of Apple about uh, film production, uh, music production. He's 
pretty much there full time. Well, this is one of the things that I, I kind of, you know, when reading about the concert for Bangladesh for today, it's one of these things that you notice again, which is when Apple worked, it was actually a very great idea. So yes. the fact that, you know, George could say, you know, because one quarter of the, the, the directorate of Apple to say, look, I've got this concert coming up and I'm going to use Apple as the production company to film this concert to to you know make a recording of it turn it into a movie i know they weren't doing it for profit but to to have a you know a, a company that could actually be mobile enough to cover you know a, a record recording a concert recording and to give it a bit of uh beetle glamour so to speak you know it was very useful it, yes and i say i think i think it shows you you do have interviews you know what george is saying retrospectively oh you know apple that was uh john and paul's baby you know that was their thing and where he's kind of slightly distancing himself or trying to put some clear blue water between himself and the and 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 what's perceived to be the the downsides of apple but at this stage he was very involved ringo was very involved um and i think we've mentioned before that sort of it was around this time maybe a little bit later that there was there was a serious seriously entertained by George and Ringo that they might buy Apple Mm. um, in order to pursue their own things. And remember, George will start his own label. Ringo will start his own label. Um, So they, they, that ironically, those two are the ones that will take the, the sort of notional idealism of Apple um, forward. Yeah. They're, well, they're in an unusual place, aren't they? Because they're coming out from under the shadow of the Beatles and they're like, well, what have we got at our disposal to, get across the things we want to get across. And of course, why not use Apple? So uh, exactly. And I mean, you know, we have to keep focused on the fact that George and Ringo are the most successful solo Beatles. <laughs> yes, yes, you yes. Know, in yeah, terms, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but in, ter- in terms of chart success and, 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 and profile and all the rest of it, um, you, you know, this is this is a very weird period coming out you know, coming after the release of the Let It Be film, suddenly George and Ringo are front and centre. They're making films. They're, uh, you know, Ringo's appearing in films. Ringo's having hit singles, number one singles. George is number one all over the world. Um, very odd. It is very odd. And, you know, the, you know, we're still only, you know, not even a year away from, uh, you know, the release of Let It Be. Uh, so the Beatles are still a fresh thing and there's still a vibe of, you know, of them as a, as a unit, even though they're separated. And of yeah. course, the the overwhelming uh, possibility that they could get back together at any point in time. So it's not surprising that, you know, what all of these kind of uh, feed into George's uh, writing and his attitude. And we should probably talk about a B-side, first of all, because there's reference in one of his B-sides to what's going on. There is. This is this is I don't know if you know the song or know the song. Well, this is uh, called Miss O'Dell. Mm. Uh, it, 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 it will not come out until uh, after the concert for Bangladesh. It appears as a, a B-side to uh, Give Me Love, Give Me Peace on Earth in, in uh, 1973. But it, it, it was written around this time. And it's the first sort of comment that George makes. One of the lyrics um, talks about uh, rice going astray on their way to Bombay. And this is this, this sort of slightly... Uh, you know, cynical uh, take on uh, Western aid, uh, supposedly getting to these refugees and then dis- disappearing. Um, this this is a kind of slightly jokey song, uh, almost a kind of proto Wilburys mm-hmm. vibe about it. There's two versions: one in which George 
laughs sort of breaks down in this slightly forced laughter in the middle and one is just a straight version you can get it on the uh, bonus uh, bonus track on living in the material world and um there's a version on the dvd that accompanies the little box sort of clamshell box um for that and uh i know you like fun facts love fun facts i love fun generally you love fun generally that's this is where we're so different in that regard we're quite a fun um, podcast yes you bring the fun and I bring the facts. Um, <laughs> wow. Let's, let's get rid of everybody thinks they know the Beatles. Um, <laughs> that's a catchphrase. That's a catchphrase. At the very end of the song where he's saying, you know, Miss O'Dell, why won't you call me? Chris O'Dell, I should say, is... Um, she's she's a really amazing Zelig type person who's involved in so many things. She's exactly that. Uh, she is exactly that. We, we mentioned the fact that uh, about her book, she has a very frank, shall we say... Uh, autobiography about her time at Apple and it just seems she just seems to have wandered into Apple and Derek Taylor said yep here's a job and you know the next thing at one point she's hanging out with um, living at Friar Park Um, but you know she goes on she works with the Stones she works with Dylan I mean does all those tours Crosby, Silton, Nash Crosby, Silton, Nash and Young tour in, in 1974 she is just everywhere um so it's a it, it's a fascinating uh, it's a fascinating book but george writes this as a kind of jokey song when he can't get hold of her or she won't ring him or whatever but at the end <laughs> uh george sings a telephone number just at, uh, just at the very out- outro the very last line and it's a telephone number to put you in touch with chris odell no, it's a telephone number to put you in touch with Paul McCartney. It's Paul McCartney's old telephone number from Fourth Lynn Road. That's that's amazing. Have you rung that, Stephen? I have not. I have not phoned that. But it's sure. it is it is that thing. Can you not remember from when you were a kid? I can remember telephone numbers from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Can't remember anybody any, anybody's contemporary. Uh, <laughs> yes, because you don't have to because they're all no. on your mobile phone. But I can remember. You know, I can remember six, seven digit phone numbers of people that were primary school with me. And yes, you know. So obviously, this has just popped into his head. I, and, I am also, uh, even though even though my youthful looks belie the fact, I'm also old enough to remember you know relatives my mum ringing up the operator to ask for telephone numbers where the exchange was listed in the telephone number yes and i have you know blah 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 329 you know that, that, yes. that kind of stuff yeah yeah i do remember that well I, I i live in a small village and everybody just uses the last three digits <laughs> when they're exchanging telephone numbers so you just lean out a window and it's, ask a yeah. friendly what day is it boy it's that it's... kind of <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, it's a, it's an insight into my home life, <laughs> listeners. Um, so there's a lot going on, uh, feeding into all this. Aside from ringing uh, Paul uh, back in Fortland Road, um, but the you know things start to come together. Uh, to use a Beatles pun, um, the news is is getting a little bit of cachet worldwide. The Sunday Times have an article that. Uh, around about April time, talking about the the horrors of of what is going on. And as you said, the original idea was a bit sort of benign. Oh, George, could you come along and say hello? And yes, I I think something that, you know, everyone says, oh, the concert for Bangladesh, you know, was the first big charity concert. But of course, there had been charity concerts before. They'd just been sort of, you know, well, we're we're doing something tonight in aid of, you know, the local orphanage or, you know, this kind of charity or that kind of charity. What Bangladesh is, you know, ends up doing differently is this sort of huge leverage kind of mass event as opposed to let's just do a regular event for charity. This is this this, this is it. And and although George is very 
careful not to get involved in the politics yeah. of, of, of what's going on. And I mean, he, he gives a press conference at one point and he specifically says that. Nevertheless, what this is about as much as anything is raising awareness of Bangladesh, of the, yeah. this independence movement. And there, there has been some traction in the West. Ted Kennedy um, uh, in, in the States, um, sort of from, he was a Democrat. I mean, Nixon is in power in America as president at this time, and he is very pro-West Pakistan. Ted Kennedy has sort of picked up um, the cause of, of, of sort of the liberation movement for Bangladesh. But this is as much about raising that and just getting getting a discussion going. Because, you know, in the West, it's all happening somewhere very far away. Um, mm -hmm. You know, and George mentions, you know, in the press conference, well, you know, last year it was Biafra. You know, there, were, there was an issue there. And this is just, again, it's somewhere distant. And it perhaps sitting in the 21st century where everyone is connected to everyone and yeah. news events happen. This kind of huge natural disaster, it was just getting a few paragraphs in a, in a paper. So as you say, there is this article in, in The Times, and this is really the point at which it moves from being, perhaps Ravi Shankar could do a concert and raise $25,000 to perhaps we can do something, you know, more than that. Well, and, and what we kind of see happening once George decides to really get involved, I think the, the quote we have here is... Um, you know, George says, the concert for Bangladesh happened because of my relationship with Ravi. I said, if you want me to be involved, I think I'd better really be involved. So I started recruiting all these people. And from what we know is that George picks up the phone. There, there's, there's a clip, I think, in, in one of the documentaries where Ravi says, oh, it happens quite quickly. And then George at the time is saying, I was on the phone for a month yes, trying, yeah. trying to get people happening. Yeah. Yes. And Chris O'Dell talks about this, that, that he started drawing up a wish list of of people yeah. and sort of his his wish list was kind of Ringo, John Lennon, Eric Clapton, uh, you know, Billy Preston, Badfinger that he was working with in the studio. So he he starts very quickly formulating. But yeah, you, you imagine you don't just get all these people on the phone and they they, they say, yeah, fine. When, when, yeah. It ha there is no template for that. That's the other thing to, to, to be aware of. There really isn't a template for that. No. And he is, as we mentioned earlier, he is working with Badfinger on the Straight Up album at this point. He's working with Ravi Shankar at this point. So they're in his orbit. Yep. But John Lennon is in his orbit because this is around Imagine time and he's involved it, in yes, Imagine. Yeah. Uh, and he also telephones an astrologer. Yes, because it's very important yes. um, to consult the stars. So uh, <laughs> he was consulting the stars and he was consulting the stars. Oh, you're oh. wasted on this podcast. Oh, that's a great joke. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so he consults an astrologer. Well, we do that when we're recording, you know. Yes, we'll, that, we'll is, that is true. Auspicious day for recording. So this uh, astrologist says, astrologer says, uh, yeah, you should have this concert in early August. And it turns out that the 1st of August is the only day that Madison Square Gardens is available. You think the astrologist is perhaps on the payroll of Madison Square Garden? So. <laughs> tell him the first of tell August. Tell him the first of August. <laughs> um, and he, yeah, the first of August is the date. So I mean, it, it becomes a very real thing um, by you know by by you know as we head into May, May nineteen seventy one. Yes, and at this point, uh, as you say, phone calls are being made. Um, he's drawing up this wish list that the, the logistics of pulling this all together. Now, what what you have to remember is George doesn't have a band. Yeah. You know, he he's he's not played live. So, the previous template for this 
type of charity event would be, you know, band number one comes on and does a set. Then band number two comes on and does a set. There's a gap. Band number three comes on and does a set. But this is something, this is something different. This is a sort of rotating cast. Um, you know, there's a group of musicians on stage and people will be coming, drifting in and out and doing their, doing their thing. So um, you're starting from scratch to rehearse a huge band uh, of, of musicians, all from different backgrounds. Um, and you, the idea is also there, we're going to record this, we're going to have a film, and it, the whole project just gains a certain momentum. But before the, the gig happens, there's also Bangladesh, the single, which I think uh, is... A little forgotten, maybe in the in in the midst of all of this, the the concert is kind of fondly remembered and eulogised, but the single Bangladesh, you certainly don't hear it on the radio, and no. you can argue that you know the, the again many people say oh the concert was like this proto version of Live Aid, which happens in nineteen eighty five, but the Bangladesh single is kind of like the prototype version of Do They Know It's Christmas, yes. which, which in some ways is a much more unusual undertaking. As we said, charity gigs kind of were a vague thing or, or an event for charity, but a single for charity, um, <clears throat> although the Beatles had done that World Wildlife Fund record, but a sort of a, a very much a, a standalone single trying to get people's attention. And the whole point of all this Bangladesh is information to, it's like John's peace campaign. It's an advertising campaign for Bangladesh. Exactly, exactly. And George, George is very open about this, that, I mean, he, he, he talks about, you know, my friend John taught me how to use the power of being a Beatle, the power of the press, the power of the, uh, of, of the media. So he, he's, he's very conscious about what he's doing here. This is a, a sort of tailor made single. And I think you're right. I think it is forgotten because simply because of the nature of um, the content, you know, it's about a particular event. It, it, it's, it's a very attention. literal song. It's a very literal song. It's just yeah. getting information out there. Um, it's uh, yes, this, this, this is, this is recorded um, at the beginning of July, two sessions to the 4th and 5th of July in LA. And uh, the band here, uh, you know, Ringo is there, Jim Keltner is there, Klaus Vorman is there, Leon Russell is there. So this is this is the core of people that will subsequently appear on stage. And um, in the documentary that uh, accompanies the DVD re-release of, of uh, the Bangladesh film, Ringo says, oh, the concert was the first time I met Jim Keltner. Mm. Um, uh, but actually they were both on this session. So this must have been the point at which they met. And when you think about what a tight relationship Ringo and Jim Keltner will go on to have over the course of the next kind of 50 years, really. Yes. You know, and Keltner is then suddenly right in the middle of uh, the Beatles orbit. Yeah. Um, you know, he, he'll go on to, to work with uh, with George. Uh, he, he works with Paul. In fact, I think Jim Keltner is one of the very few people to have worked in the studio and on a stage with all four solo oh. Beatles. Hmm. When was he on stage with Paul? Can I put you on the spot? Uh, the concert for George. Of course, of course. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, what's interesting about Bangladesh is, you know this concept of the Overton window? You know this? Yes. So yes. the Overton window is this notion about... Um, 
you know, what kind of political topics or what kind of social topics are acceptable to the, the majority of the, the mainstream population at, uh, at any given point in time. So it's, it's also, I think, window of discourse is another name that it's called. Mm. And what, what, what they're trying to do is it's, you know, what are the things that you can get into the, the eyeline or into the, the, the background knowledge of mainstream general population? And so part of what George is doing here is to try and shift that window towards yep. saying, do you know it's important? It's important to know what's happening in other countries. It's important to maybe care about refugees, to care about war elsewhere, that, uh, you know, the, the very human nature of humanitarian is in the fact that, you know, even if even if you're able to live your own best life in the, quote, West, end quote, you know, you should still care on a human nature for what is happening in this part of the world. And that's kind of what he what, what the song is kind of saying, you know, when he says, you know, my friend came to me with sadness in his eyes, you know, he, well, he wants to help before his country dies, you know, all that kind of stuff. He's, it's trying to shift that public opinion. Yes. It's, I mean, it, 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 it is, as you say, very literal, you yeah. know, get, give some bread, get the people fed. You know, it's a very literal uh, thing. And it's a great, I mean, in musical terms, it's a kind of continuation of all things must pass. It's a continuation of that kind of, big sound gospel-y um, ensemble playing, you know, uh, very not like the Beatles. You know, this is what I was saying before. This is George really has a very distinctive sound in mind when he leaves the Beatles. He tra he's, he's running in the opposite direction yeah. from, from the Beatles sound. I, I, I quite like that little introduction. So there's a sort of very, there's two distinct sections. You've got that slow my friend came to me with sadness in his eyes section of her little piano figure and I, I i was sort of thinking that's a bit like you know do you want to know a secret or uh mm. here there and everywhere where you, you have a little section but actually when i i don't pretend to know anything about indian <laughs> music but apparently it's it's more he was thinking of a, a particular construction that's used in indian music where you have a little introduction introductory oh, yeah. piece like that but it did it did immediately make me think of do you want to know a secret um, i'm sure that was his intention i'm, I'm sure i'm sure that was <laughs> probably <his> not <laughs> um this is recorded as you say at the start of july it's recorded with phil specter in la and they also record the b-side at the same time deep blue which is a fantastic song and is another one of those overlooked songs in george's canon you know but as you say Bangladesh sort of disappears mm. I think it turns up on the best of George Harrison which is a kind of EMI uh, compilation uh, pretty crappy compilation that they do to spoil his move to another record label in 1976 <laughs> Deep Blue should have been on that compilation Deep Blue is a, a kind of it's it's a blues song it's just he's playing dobro this is if you, you mentioned he's on the imagine sessions he's playing on crippled inside so and this is a song that dates from 19 70 um, and really reflects his state of mind around the time that his mother is in hospital and she passes away at that stage and it's a very downbeat song and it's 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 a an a very nice contrast and complement to what's on the a side of the single yeah and as you say it's a 1970 song it's not on the 2021 box set for all things must pass there's no kind of hidden version or anything that's popped up so um but that's the, the B-side of the, the Bangladesh uh, single. And is this, am I right in thinking, is this his last uh, production, proper production with Phil Spector? 
Uh, the, well, apart from the concert for Bangladesh itself. Yeah. Oh, yes. okay. Well then. Yes. But this yes. is his last kind of new recording yes. studio session. Yes. This is, is, is this, this is his last recording. Yeah. We come on to a, just high involved Phil walls with the uh, <laughs> recording of Bangladesh, a recording of the concert. You know what? But, you know uh, what the problem with Phil Spector is he's either really involved or not involved at all. That's true. I mean, there's a couple of problems with Phil Spector. I was going to say that's not the, that's not the <laughs> that's problem not the, I thought the... you were going to identify. No. But, um, uh, he, apart he's... from the other problems. Yes. The main problem um, is... Amongst the problems of Phil Spector are. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, so the Bangladesh single is recorded at the start of July and it's rush released because, you know, this this concert is happening on the 1st of August. And so that single needs to be in the shops for them. Yes. The other thing that is kind of hovering around the pre-concert for Bangladesh uh, eyeline is, you know, the Beatles, they've, they're on a break. Is there going to be a reunion? And speaking of breaks, we'll discuss it after our break. End of part one. Intermission. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. End of intermission. Part two. Welcome back. So, yeah, a cloud hanging over this whole concert for Bangladesh malarkey is are the Beatles going to get back together because the you know the the the, the concert itself is labeled very you know mysteriously as George Harrison and friends yes uh, you think if this was happening today you would be saying that in order to uh kind of build up that the tension and the expectation but in in 1971 it was being called George Harrison and friends because they didn't have a final lineup uh, raises this, uh, raise this uh, expectation: Are the Beatles going to get back together? Um, it, you know, it was less than twelve months since uh, yep. they had supposedly split up, and you know, and during that time, no one's actually coming out. You know, there's arguments back and forward, and but th- th- this seems to be a, a kind of perfect opportunity uh, to get the band back together. It is. It is one of those things that you know when you when you when you play the, the what if game, you know, it's not totally unimaginable. So let's, uh, if my maths is right, aside from George, there are three other Beatles. So let's, well done. thank you. Let's see what each of them had to say, because number one, everyone's friend, Ringo Starr. Yes, he's there. Yes, he's never he's any dumb. doubt. He, never, any, never any doubt. Um, uh, and I say there is this documentary uh, from 2005, uh, the, the re-release, and he, he, he basically says, yes, of course I was going to be there so Ringo is actually in in Spain yep uh filming Blind Man classic spaghetti western as discussed on the films of Ringo Starr films of Ringo Starr we watch them so you don't have to 
Uh, yeah, so he actually interrupts the filming uh, to 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 come and attend. I say he he is there at the beginning of July on the single, and never any doubt he's going to be there. And of course, he has a big hit single, "It Don't Come Easy." So yeah, he's, so, yeah. Good, he's good to go. He, he is good to go. Okay, so that's Ringo. I'll put a big tick beside Ringo on the uh, concert for Bangladesh guest list. Uh, next on the list is John Lennon. Now, John, as we said, it was, wasn't totally unimaginable, ho-ho, that he uh, turned up because George has been doing good work on, on the Imagine album. They're pretty tight. George has been working on those uh, sessions for Imagine. John is, you know, he's the political Beatle. He's He's part of the people he's embracing kind of uh you know inverted commas revolutionary street politics uh, yes. uh so you would think he is a, a a natural to say yes absolutely i'll i'll be there this is a great cause and he's still he's still um he, he he's still uk based lenin at the minute he's not totally new york lenin just in terms of timeline which which is no. important to remember but it, it seems that when George sent him the invitation. It wasn't a, a plus one invitation. Is that it potentially seems, what's going on here? Uh, this seems to be this seems to be the issue um, that uh, it was. Would you like to come? Uh, and John says, "Well, yeah, Yoko and I would love to." Uh, and George is me very clear that Yoko is not the invitation does not extend to Yoko. He does not want uh, that style of avant garde performance as part of this show. Well, just as a side point, I mean, when we do look at the final lineup of the concert for Bangladesh, George seemed to forget to invite any women. Yes, like, <laughs> you know, there were some women in the backing singers. Uh, you know what I mean? There but, wasn't. But well, I, I that 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 is funny because I was watching the film last night. I was <laughs> thinking there isn't there there are no women there. But then you think about who who would he in nineteen seventy one? Well, who, who was in George's orbit? That that it was a very male-dominated kind of big, oh, sure, serious yeah. rock star vibe. You know, the the the, the women were the the kind of the chicks. You know, they were the, yeah. they were the assistants and the the wives and the girlfriends. And it's a bit spinal tap. You know, it's yes, you you do feel that. You know, everyone kind of goes, well, you know, we could ask Joni, and could we ask anyone else? Uh, big I don't know. Balls, you know, you know? Ca Ca Carol King. You know, but and again. It doesn't fit the yeah. vibe of the music uh, that's there. Sorry, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm, I'm just saying it's a very the, male. The invitation says hairy beards only, and yes. that's how it'll be. And right, that's how I it'll see. be. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we laugh about this. But you know, at the time, uh, you know, it's John and Yoko, it's Paul and Linda, and th they are definitely choosing sides. And John is quite defensive about this notion that you know, oh, he didn't want to help out or he didn't want to get involved. And it's it's really interesting that John couldn't overcome his personal issues if he's such a great political actor. This is arguably the start of, you know, the revisionism that that, that, that is the hallmark of uh, uh, the, the post-split Beatles. So, uh, you know, the story is supposedly that George rings him up and says, you know, the invitation is for you to come along. Really, Yoko's stuff is not going to fit. Um, uh, John subsequently says, you know, Alan Klein put it about that I uh, headed off to England so that I wouldn't be at the concert. But I told George about a week before that I wouldn't be doing it. I just didn't feel like it. I just didn't want to be rehearsing and doing a big showbiz trip. And mm. that is, this is him, you know, 
after the concert, the concert has been a huge hit. George's profile has been uh, elevated and he's obviously very uh, conscious of this idea, this, this, you know, John Lennon wouldn't do this concert. And mm. so he, he's, he's sort of justifying it and saying, uh, you know, we were in the Virgin Islands and then we'd have to come back and we haven't got people. And anyway, I've got enough money. I don't feel like doing two shows a night. And he's kind of scrambling around for um, excuses or, or, or attempt to justify uh, this. But, you know, who knows? Who knows? Uh, that's John's take. Yeah, there's so many possible projections onto this. You know, did John have any anxiety about potentially being second fiddle we know john had yep. stage fright issues as well did he literally not want to go on stage um you, you know there's a a whole take on you know george as we've said is quite powerful at this point and you know what would that have meant you know for 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 what it's worth my my guess uh my theory uh without any evidence would be that it was not wanting to play second fiddle to George, mm. you know, Plastic Ono Band has come out. It's in December seventy. It's been a, 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 you know, a critical success, but but is dwarfed by All Things Must Pass. George is now headlining this big show. George has got Bob Dylan, yeah, uh, in, involved. Um, you know, Eric Clapton is there. Is John Lennon going to go on stage and play second fiddle to George and Bob Dylan? Yeah, you know uh, that. I, I I think that. It, it, it's an ego issue as much as anything, uh, as much as anything else. You know, the, for for all that George is is organising this post show, the headline the headline is all about Dylan. So Lennon yes. would have been third on the bill. Well, the, the 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 thing we need to remind ourselves of again and again is that it is 1971, and none of the four Beatles have done a proper solo gig or concert. No. So if you think about it, they have a token that they can only use once which is the first live concert of me as a, as a solo Beatle. So John has yeah. one, Paul has one, Ringo has one, and George has one. Now, Ringo perhaps isn't particularly, you know, Ringo no. will just go with the flow, it seems. But this is George's playing his token. And I, you know, you could say John wants to save his token for another day. Yes. You know, he doesn't want to, you know, use, you know, if, if it, the spotlight's going to be on George, um, you know, use it some other time. I th I think that's right, and and bear in mind that when he does use that token, uh, it's for the one to one charity gig. It's for a charity gig in Madison Square Garden. Where did he get that idea? I wonder. Yeah. Um, but if only we knew from if only Yoko Ono had uh, let us know exactly what had happened. Uh, it it would be it would be nice. Yeah. Oh wait, hold on. <laughs> I I feel uh, Yoko wrote about this in the the Lennon anthology uh, box set. And we, I feel we kind of need to read out the whole thing. In, it's, it, you're it's not going to. Are, are you going to do your Yoko Ono voice? I will not do a Yoko Ono voice. Well, then you may proceed. Thank you very much. Uh, a phone call came, and John picked it up. He was saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." I saw that he was getting very upset. He hung up the phone without saying a word. What was that? Oh, that was George. A long pause. He's saying, "Join the Bangladesh concert and all that." Dylan is coming too. I'm not going. Why? I think we should go. It's a charity. It's for a good cause. I said. We're not going to do it. Why? Because it's George's little thing. We'll do our own. You and me. I think we should go, I said. Does it matter that it's George's? This is great, isn't it? It's like, uh, it's it's like, like radio being in the play. room. I know. John was getting angrier and angrier. I was getting angry too. I thought John was being big-headed about it. Okay, if you don't want to, to go, I'll go. I'll go alone, I said. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. John flipped out. You want to be a performing flea? Go ahead. You'd perform at the drop of a hat with any excuse anywhere. I think we should go. I'm leaving. John left the room in a huff and I just sat there. So first of all, that's a great recollection of a, of a it you is. Know, one-on-one conversation uh, 30 years after the fact. I heard much, much later that George Harrison told John to come alone to the Bangladesh show. Without me, that is. Was that the real reason John did not want to do the show? I guess we'll never know. And that's Yoko. And scene. And scene. A classic Yoko hand grenade thrown into the situation to say, well, I guess we'll never know. We'll just never know. There's no <laughs> way of knowing. There's no way of knowing, apart from me just telling you yeah. uh, what happened. Um, it's interesting. And it's it's possible. I, I, I can imagine it was potentially one of the factors that stopped. I think so. Going. I like the idea that Yoko was saying, I'll, I'll, well, if you don't want to do it, I'll do it. I'll go on my own. Away, that, that's fine. And yeah, I can see... Uh, yes, I can see George would have been happy with that. But it, what the long-term effect of this is that, you know, John and George never really get their act back together as, a, as, as two pals after this. Yeah, there is, a, there, there, there is a kind of change in their relationship. And if you remember, um, I think we touched on this in the 1974 episode, you know, when, um, you know, George and John have a big bust up at the end of the year around the signing of the papers. And George says, you know, you weren't there when I needed you. Mm. And, uh, you, you know, this is this is kind of maybe a throwback to this situation where, you know, I needed you to come and do this. I wanted you. This was this was a big thing for me. And you weren't there. You weren't there to back me up. Mm. I wonder, did it, did, did it really matter to him at that time that Paul wasn't there? It seems... That Paul wasn't there. Oh, sorry, that John, that John wasn't, wasn't there. there. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think John's uh, John's relationship uh, with with George is probably the su- the subject of several episodes of a podcast. Um, mm. We know that you know in 1973, George was saying, you know, let's form a band, you, me, and Ringo. So that was the sort of an attempt uh, to to sort of. Uh, but I suppose George, to get onto an equal footing with John, with John, yeah. and I suspect that there's that tension between George being the younger member, of, the youngest member of the band, always having that slight kind of hero worshiping aspect with John, but at the same time struggling to assert his own identity and say, "Well, look, I'm just as good as you. My my work is just as good as you. I'm commercially as successful as you. You need to start treating me as an equal." Mm-hmm. And John really wouldn't um and i i genuinely don't think that george inviting john to the to bangladesh was an attempt by george to relegate john to second or third billing i mean i think it was just a genuine look this is a show this is you know my name is attached to this because we don't know yeah who is going to be there um would you do this and john is saying no and i think it's just another kind of knockback in in that relationship and the final sort of nail in that coffin will be John's slightly embarrassed response mm-hmm. to the suggestion in 73 that they should form a band. Um, let's move on to the final Beatle in the, on the invite list, which is, uh, let me check the list here, Paul McCartney. So I've got an X by John's name, Paul McCartney, question mark. Paul's pretty to the point. He's not yeah, doing it. He's not doing it. Absolutely not. Uh, he, he sort of says, you know, there's the, we're all suing each other, um, you know, or well, I'm suing you. So, um, yeah. you know, so it's in the middle of that uh, sort of legal 
uh, action that's going on. But um, in in 1971, he does give an interview to Melody Maker, and um, he says, you know, I was asked to play at George's concert in New York for Bangladesh, and I didn't. Klein called the press conference and told everybody I had refused to do it for the Pakistani refugees. That's what he called them. It wasn't so. I said to George, the reason I couldn't do it was because it would mean the world's press would scream that the Beatles had got back together again. And I know it would have made Klein very happy. It would have been a historical event, and Klein would have taken all the credit. I didn't really fancy it anyway. You know, so then he yeah. reverts to the, well, I, you know. I didn't want to go. I, I didn't want to go anyway. It, it, it wasn't for Klein. I might have had second thoughts. I, I don't know. I don't know, really. So but, it's interesting that both Paul and John are kind of like, well, you know, didn't want to do it anyway. Well, Klein is in the background of the John decision as well, doing his usual divide and conquer nonsense and winding people up. So Klein is just kind of muddying the waters. But yes, what's interesting in Paul's response is that it's the first kind of iteration of Paul you know, not wanting anyone but the Beatles to benefit from any kind of reunion and to say, and it's kind of foresightful from a legal point of view, uh, although you might think, oh, it's artistically not very pure. But I think in the long run, it might be artistically the right decision that, you know, he he does this over and over again up until like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame at the end of the 80s. He's saying, we are not legally friends. (laughs) It's kind of what he's saying. When we're legally friends and we have a bit more control over the situation, we will do something. It's it's that. It's the same thing. It is. And I mean, I think I, I think Paul does start that, but that that does become a, a, a sort of a touchstone for all of them. Well, you know, if we wanted to do it, we would do it for ourselves. We wouldn't do it for you guys. He wouldn't do it for the millions of dollars. He wouldn't do it. For, we would just do it. We just get in a room and play some music. And if, if we want to do it for ourselves. But yeah, Paul, Paul is articulating this. Uh, that This becomes his standard line. Yeah. Yeah. And I think in, in 1971, you know, that doesn't. Uh, it doesn't really contribute much to Paul's coolness to be no. saying, hey, legally, you know, we shouldn't be hanging out when it's like, hey, we, we should all be thinking of our fellow man and doing charity gigs and talking I, about our feelings. Yeah, I think so. I think if you if you um, we'll, we'll come on to sort of talk about the legacy of the, the, yeah. the, the concert. Uh, yeah, Paul's comments don't play well. Um, so it is July 1971 at this point, and remember the gig is on the 1st of August 1971, um, and it really is amazing how much Harrison, how much time he is devoting to this. Like he spends yes. weeks on the phone getting people together, he records the Bangladesh single, and then he's uh, in the middle of July, he's back in Los Angeles again with Ravi uh, doing Ravi's kind of Bangladesh record. Yes, Joy Bangla. It's actually very good. Uh, I have not it, heard it, I'm afraid. I'll send you a tape of that. I have the, I have the single. It's very good. <laughs> nice course. picture sleeve. Okay. Um, and it's 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 only around this time that the concert is announced. The tickets don't go for sale until about two or three weeks before the actual gig itself. So they go that's, on sale in July. That's right. There's 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 uh, two two things happen. The, the tickets go on sale and uh, UNICEF come on board at this point. So there's a sort of George Harrison Ravi Shankar special emergency relief fund uh, is is set up and uh, UNICEF are, are going to be involved in that. Um, and as you I say, sure yeah, as hope, uh, I sure as hope, Basel, all the paperwork is okay on that stuff, he said in a foreshadowing manner. Anyway. You can, you can never have too many lawyers. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure he had all I'm, his legal... I'm sure they've done everything. Let's just park that notion. Yeah. You know, let's not think about that at all. So as you say, yes, the, 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 the tickets go on sale. Um, and in, in, again, in the 2005 documentary, you have uh, f- news footage in New York of, of these the kids, you know, in sleeping bags, uh, queuing up to, to, to 
buy the tickets in the days when you had to actually go to the box office at the venue yep. and um, pay your uh, seven dollars and fifty cents. Seven dollars and fifty cents. I know. Uh, I know. <laughs> that's 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 three hundred and fifty thousand million pounds in today's <laughs> money. Um, can you imagine what you would have to pay to well, to see that kind of lineup today? It's nuts. Well, the, the the final number of uh, tickets sold raised, you know, two hundred fifty thousand dollars, which is one point six million in today's money, and they sold forty thousand tickets, which is two hundred sixty one thousand people in today's money. That's uh, an inflation joke, um, but uh, it's uh, it, it sells out. Like they, it's initially only one show, and that show yep. is a sellout. And it's very quaint that they think, oh, can we sell out? 20,000 tickets. George is very upfront and very sort of genuine about this. And he said, you know, my manager, Klein, he was anticipating a sellout, but I wasn't so sure. I knew the Beatles could have a sellout, but on my own, it was different. Um, and, and then he he's, says, you know, we, we sold the tickets. We put on a second show. There are seats behind the stage from which you can see nothing. We yeah. we had requests for those, so we sold those as well. So I, I, I think he is genuinely taken aback at the scale of interest but again as you say this is still being billed as george harrison and friends and we are still in uncharted territory because you know there's never been a solo beatles gig with a, no. a, a solo beatles name on it and you know it's it's 1971 and music is kind of moving on and there's this notion it's really only around 1971 72 73 that the notion of forming a, a legacy in relation to the music of the 60s starts to come into view. And you could argue maybe someone like Klein can see that happening. Um, mm. uh, uh, maybe we'll talk about this uh, a little later on as well. But, uh, you know, George is probably thinking, well, you know, I'm, it, it's not the Beatles. I've only got one record out. Why would anyone want to come and see me? Yes, yes. You're, you're, the, 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 this, is exactly, this is exactly it. You know, the, the, everything has moved on. You know, the Stones have kind of kicked concert touring up a gear mm -hmm. with, their, with their American tour in terms of, you know, the sound equipment. And, you know, you know the, the Beatles last performed on a stage in 1966. You know, the sound was terrible. You couldn't hear them. Yeah. Uh, th this is kind of five years on. Uh, the whole touring mechanism has changed. The sound, the audience expectations have, have changed. Yeah. And as you say, George is thinking, I've got one record and one single. Yeah, and uh, you know it's it's as you say five years since the Beatles toured, and you know rock and roll at this point is still only about sixteen years old. So for a third of rock and roll's life, George has been sitting on the benches. So he's yeah. reasonably going to assume that maybe nobody might turn up. Yes, yes, and again, it's it's uh, only his name attached to this. Although the rumours are flying, still flying around. Um, so these tickets are sold amazingly, seven fifty each. Uh, you know, they get into the hands of the the touts who are selling them. You know, for up to twenty dollars. There's a huge demand, a huge amount of interest. So by mid July, who does George have on his performer list? Well, he's got a he's got a backing band, a commitment of a backing band. Uh, so it's going to be Badfinger uh, on acoustic and rhythm guitars and. Yep. Their poor drummer is relegated to tambourine. Um, Billy Preston on keyboards, Klaus Wurman on bass, Jim Keltner on drums. Uh, Jim Horn is there with his kind of horn section. It's uh, Chuck Finley, people like that. Leon Russell, who has said he'll do it on the proviso that he can be supported by members of his tour band that will pop up on stage. And uh, hero, uh, heroin addict uh, <laughs> Eric Clapton is yes. penciled in. 
the man of 2021. The man of 2021. Cough. Um, don't, can I just... don't cough on Eric's uh, present. <laughs> oh, yes. No, he's going to allow me to cough if I want. He doesn't care. Can I just point out that um, Jim Horn is his real name? Yes. Yeah. It's uh, nominative determinism. Isn't that nominative the, uh, determinism at its best. At absolutely. its best. The other, the other thing I, I only discovered last night when I was doing the research, because yes, we do research. George, George <laughs> one asked, of us does. One of us does. <laughs> George, George asked Mick Jagger. Oh really? Yeah, but he was he was otherwise engaged. Is is that any is that is that uh, is that in any way the reason why um, Leon Russell does jumping jack flash? I uh, I don't know. I think that was it. Leon Russell says at the time. Well, in, in the documentary, uh, you know, and in the documentary, he he's he looks like Paddy McAloon from from <laughs> PFAP. They both yes. did the long white hair and the beard. Um, uh, he says no. He was just trying to find something that people knew. Mm. Oh, okay, uh, fair so enough. That, but. Would that? I think I I could. Mick would have been good. Mick would have been great. Well, the, the he, thing he'd that, have he'd have relegated John to fourth on the billing if he'd turned up. <laughs> the thing I'm wondering about. Well, Mick would have been match fit because because the Stones yeah. were, were touring. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, a chunk of these people are playing on the Bangladesh single at the start of July. They're rehearsing yes. at the end of July. They're essentially in George's orbit for about five weeks. Is nobody getting paid? Is everybody doing this out everybody, of the goodness e of their heart? Everybody is doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Yeah, everybody's doing this because again, there's the, this is the, there's comments. Klaus Vorman makes this point, and Jim Horn makes this point. Whenever that he, he he said, whenever they turned up to record the Bangladesh single, he said, you know, he was a session man. He was pretty cool with meeting famous people, but suddenly he's meeting a Beatle. He's never worked with a Beatle before. Um, and he said, you know, George was very good and very, very organized and knew exactly what it was that he wanted. And it, he said, when it became apparent, you know, they're donating their services, it became less about we're not doing this to make money for ourselves. We're just having a good time. And it became very relaxed session. And mm -hmm. he said the fact that they weren't getting paid, the fact that they weren't sort of on the clock, um, you, you know, and, and working to order and time is money, um, made it for a very relaxed session. So the nucleus of the band has come together around that Bangladesh single. And one of the things you have to remember is Leon Russell at this point, is pretty pretty big. Yeah, he's having um, his moment. He's having his moment, and uh, he's also uh, a session uh, player. Yeah. So he he has links to people like Jim Keltner, Jesse Ed Davis. They're all part of this kind of uh, session group. Well, that, that th with this Russell July this July seventy one period is Jim Keltner's big entrance into the world of George, yes. isn't it? Yes. Yes. So yes. This is first first up Bangladesh single. You know all the way through to uh, Buster Sidebury. Yeah, he's, he's one of the Wilburys, you know, and appears in George's uh, This Song video, and he's just a general good pal. He just, I think, yes, he just becomes a pal. Yeah. Um, you, you know. Um, Has he written and, a book? I don't think it's a Jim Keltner I don't, book. I don't think, I, don't, I, I, don't think I so. haven't come across Jim Keltner no. book. Perhaps you get Jim, Jim, Jim Keltner uh, would like to come on to, that would be very cool to get Jim Keltner that on the podcast. That would be rather cool. It'd be just an hour of us sort of gawping at him over oh. Zoom, I suppose. Yeah, that would be. <laughs> <laughs> that might be entertaining <laughs> that, listening. Well, it would be entertaining for us. It would be entertaining oh, yeah, for us. For but, sure. uh, but, but yes, yeah, Jim, Jim Keltner becomes a very important uh, uh, kind of, member of, of of the solo beatles family now as you touched upon there um mr eric clapton is um you know he's he's on the list of performers he's not necessarily there when the rehearsals start on the 26th of july he's uh, very busy i think his calendar just has 
heroin written on it every yes, day. Yes, he's just doing heroin every day. Because, every day. Uh, every day. This is because, basically because uh, Patty Boyd won't leave George. Yeah, don't get me started on, on that I, whole thing. I, I know, I know. You've, you've watched that tw- uh, Life in 12 Bars documentary. I've watched Life in 12 Bars and it, it was on again a few weeks ago yep. on BBC4 and I, I put up a very benign tweet which slightly mocked <laughs> Eric Clapton. Slightly um, mocked. Slightly mocked him. And uh, I, 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 I generally have a very pleasant existence on Twitter. But these handful of people come out of the woodwork saying, how dare you? You're, you're horrible. And Eric's God. And are you triggered? And what's the matter with you? And all this kind of um, fantastic conspiracy theory stuff. And I'm like, wow, they're your fans. Good for you, yeah. Eric. But Life in 12 Mars, the Eric Clapton documentary, like what? What I wasn't slagging the documentary, it's very, very good. It's just really depressing. And it's a tough watch. It's yeah. a tough watch, and it's an officially sanctioned Eric Clapton documentary. It feels like it's some sort of 12-step penance kind of documentary uh, where he's trying to make up for, you know, all the things he's done. I mean, I do find Eric Clapton kind of, um, what's the word? Tedious. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, I say that as a, you know. You, know, we're, you we're, like Eric Clapton. I like I like the music that Eric Clapton. I've never met Eric Clapton. No, you're constantly um, banging on about his politics. Uh, yeah, and how much? No, 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 no. no, 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 no. Um, yeah, Eric Clapton is is an odd character. I suppose yeah. growing growing up as I did in the seventies, Eric Clapton was this huge figure yes. in kind of popular music. Uh, this is kind of like pre seventy six, seventy seven. Um, that Layla album was one of the must own. You know, there were several albums that you had to own. That was yes. one. Um, uh, Deep Purple Made in Japan. That was another one. <laughs> <laughs> so it kind of gives you an insight into, you know, Dark Side of the Moon. These these were the big kind of touchstone albums. And, uh, you, you know, the standard stock response for the uh, schoolboy in 1974 was, who is the best guitarist in the world? Well, that would be Eric Clapton. It was just, that was, that was just yeah. what it was. Yeah. Um, and then he became rather dull uh, <laughs> and sort of released, reggae versions of I Shot the Sheriff and mm. stuff like that. But yet you would go and see him in concert and he would kind of, you know. Well, you know, it's 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 a quirk of me uh, being uh, bitchy about Eric Clapton that the last proper musical gig I saw before lockdown was yes. Eric Clapton, where you and me were uh, over in London watching him at the, the Ginger Baker tribute gig in, yeah. in, in February uh, 2020. And I'd never seen Eric Clapton before. And he was playing all the fun Eric Clapton songs, which are the cream songs, which is all you want. Like, yeah, just do badge, just do white room. Thanks very much. Yeah. And all all of the blind faith material. Yeah. And that was fantastic. Please don't play Wonderful Tonight or any of that stuff. Yeah. And uh, I have to admit, he's 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 he can play the guitar. I suppose He He can play the guitar. You know, I'm not going to get embroiled in the uh, is, no, is, is 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 Eric Clapton this that or the other, but um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you know, I, I let's just say I've seen Eric Clapton in concert a few times, and uh, what was that 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 thing that uh, that concert for George thing? Um, oh yes, oh, yes but, you were at that, weren't you? Uh, yeah, yeah, I keep mm. I keep forgetting, but uh, mm. you know, he's quite good at that too, because as you say, he's just playing the fun fun Eric, the good Eric Clapton. Yes, um, but I feel no need uh, to ever see Eric Clapton in concert ever again no sorry eric 
<laughs> oh no if he if he hasn't turned off by now he's definitely turned off when you've said that so uh, so back to back to we, his, we've been sidetracked so we've been I've sidetracked to my eric clapton like soapbox. eric clapton being sidetracked by heroin uh so <laughs> well, he's yeah, not there when the rehearsal he is because... he is not there he is not there the, the the background story very quickly is yes he has asked patty boyd uh, to leave George and, you know, move in with him. He has uh, told uh, George that he is in love with Patty Boyd. Um, mm-hmm. Chris O'Dell was there. Uh, you know, he, she, she's in the middle of this and has written about it uh, in her book. Um, and he basically said to Patty Boyd, well, if you don't leave me, I'm just going to do heroin. Yeah. Which is a kind of weird way to declare your love for somebody if you, if you don't love me back i'm going to become a heroin addict and yeah she wouldn't leave george so he became a heroin addict um so you've got to think george is trying to get him on board to you know this is the man that is wants to run off with his wife it's a very weird it's very weird that and he's the, the legend is that he books a flight every day yes for eric to come over from the uk to new york and he's paying more attention to Eric Clapton's needs, it seems. Yes, than yes. Potentially it's... Patty's needs. I don't know if that's a controversial thing to say. No, I think I think that's I think that's fair enough. And you've got to think. Well, why is he doing this? Why is he sort of so much of his focus is on? Is he doing this to kind of help Eric? To kind of think, well, this would be. Uh, this would give Eric a kind of sense of purpose. This would be a reason for him to kind of get off get off the drugs and uh um but yes he says in the documentary he was booked on every flight from london to new york for seven days and people kept saying yep he's on the flight and um eventually they they sent somebody to to basically go and say to eric uh look it's fine um we've got somebody else uh you're you're not required and eric says nope i'm coming and then he gets up but yeah he's not there uh, uh when the rehearsals start and so the gig is on the 1st of August, which is a Sunday. They start rehearsing on Monday, the 26th of July. So essentially they give themselves one week to get their act together. And when the rehearsals start on Monday, the 26th of July, not everybody is there. It's only George Harrison, Klaus Foreman, Jim Horns Horns and Badfinger. So they've six days to go. They've an incomplete band. They are looking down the barrel of something that has the potential to be great, but has no guarantee that it is going to be great. It's and, it's insane. And George is tinkering with the set list. So there's still songs at this point that he's he's playing that don't actually appear on the on the show, isn't that right? Yes, that's right. So he's he's drawn up a provisional set list, and that included All Things Must Pass, yeah. uh, as a duet with Leon Russell, Art of Dying, Deep Blue, that, that B-side. He's got Eric Clapton down to sing uh, Let It Rain, and Bob Dylan, uh, if not for you, watching the river flow and blowing in the wind. Watching the river flow was a single, single uh, which was Bob recorded with Leon Russell. So all things are ready to go. It's Monday, the 26th of July. They are getting ready to rehearse. And that's where we're going to press pause right now. So how does it all turn out? Well, we kind of know, but it's still interesting. <laughs> um yeah, we're going to leave it there. What do you think, folks? Uh, we will tell the continuing story of the concert for Bangladesh next week uh, in our second part on the concert of Bangladesh. Uh, but we're available in all the usual places at Beatles Pod on Twitter, the Nothing Is Real Facebook group. And, uh, you know, everything is available through the portal of our website, uh, nothingisrealpod.com. Uh, but for now, my name is Jason Carty. My name is Stephen Cockcroft. And this is Nothing Is Real. Thanks for listening.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening to Nothing Is Real. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. And if you did, why not become a member? You'll get access to ad-free content, bonus episodes, and so much more. Follow the link in the show notes, sign up on ACAST Plus, or visit our website, nothingisrealpod.com.